0: Well, if I can get everyone's attention again and settle down as we continue on with our worship service, we will now be uh, turning to the reading of God's word today. And to read God's word for us is Adrian.
1: Our reading today is from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Now here is the context Of our passage for today. The Kingdom of Israel is split, split to two sides, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And after the split, there was much warring that happened between these two states. Much warring, much rivalry, and it lasted for generations and generations until roughly around 730 BC. The Northern Kingdom It's ravaged by the Assyrian army. And now, only desolation and ruins remain as the southern kingdom continues to watch and see all that goes on. This prayer of lament is a response to this devastation. And it's offered by none other than the southern kingdom itself. Southern kingdom lamenting for its enemy, the northern kingdom that now lies waste. And the south identifies with their plight and their affliction as if it were their very own. And so what we see in Psalm chapter 80 is a communal lament that's taking place. Now, if you recall from last week's sermon, from Psalm 77, we learned from Kinkley how we can lament as individuals before God as they cry, as they complain, and as they find their confidence in God. Well, compared to that, today, the psalmist teaches us how to lament on behalf of its community. And there are two cries, two points that we can see and learn from this corporate lament. The first cry is, God, you have turned away. And the second cry is, God, turn to us again. So let's look at our first cry together. God, you have turned away. Back in May, I visited Korea, and I got to uh, be with my in-laws for a good amount of time after getting married. Now, my father-in-law loves watching soccer, And he was following a soccer team called Tottenham. And for those of you guys who follow soccer, you'll know, okay, Tottenham, they're not that good. But to a Korean person living in Korea, Tottenham is a very important team because they have a Korean player on it. And his name is Hung Min Son. Now, it was in this time when we we're visiting that there was a, a contest, a race that was going on to see which of the soccer players could win this prestigious award called the Golden Boot. And it was a race between Liverpool's Salah and Tottenham's Son. Now, in the final game of the season, Son ended up scoring two goals. And he ended up tying to win this award with Salah, and they shared it, both with 23 goals in the Premier League season, which is pretty outstanding. Now, in Korea, while I was staying there, news channels all over would highlight son two goals time and time again, and they put it on repeat for the morning news, the afternoon, the evening news, the late night news. We just keep seeing this guy shooting the same goals. And the funny thing is, each time he scores that goal, the same response, (laughs) the same response from anyone who's watching. And the reason for that is a win for San meant it was a win for all the Koreans who identified so closely with him that each time he scores a goal, they're like, yes, we scored a goal. Each time he misses, no, we missed. And so that was really enjoyable to watch. Now coming back, I was thinking, when was my last time I had that kind of I guess, communal identity or unity. And I have to say that was probably in 2019 for a lot of us when the Raptors won their championship. It was the pride and joy of all of Canada. Now, just as that moment created a very strong sense of identity for the people, we also are to find this sense of strong, tight-knit identity With the church of God. The church's successes become our success, and the church's failure becomes our failures. And in our passage today, the psalmist, who's likely from the south, is identifying with and lamenting on behalf of the northern kingdom, which had fallen away from God. If you turn with me to verse 4, We see how he how how he really presents the circumstance of this lament. The psalmist cries, "O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? How long will you be angry?" There's an acknowledgement there that God's anger is a result of sin. And if we jump forward to verse 18 we see that it is sin which had turned these people entirely away from God. And in in the Hebrew, that word turned away actually means apostasy, meaning that represented the current state of the Israelites. They had completely renounced God. You see, the sin of the northern kingdom, it was exceedingly wicked. The wealthy ignoring the poor. Grave injustices being done, where the poor, their their own people, are being sold into debt slavery. Idol worship going on in every seeable high hill. You know, even though Israel was chosen by God, brought out from among all the other families of the earth to be a blessing to the nations, what they end up doing is they choose evil over good. And because of this, God has turned away. And this isn't just God being disappointed, but this is God being angry. Angry, where there's this hot, smoking anger. God's anger over the sin of his people is fuming up in front of him. And this smoke gets in the way. He's turned away. A question we might be wondering is this. Is it even right for God to be angry? Is it even right for God to be angry? Is he allowed to be angry? Well, if we look at verse 1, we see the relationship that God has with this people that he's angry with. It says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock See, God is a God who cares deeply for his people. God is a God who tends for his people as a shepherd would for his sheep. And they have completely renounced him from their lives, choosing idols, choosing to live their own ways instead. And because of that, God is angry. Now, I do want to mention that God's anger here with his people doesn't mean that his people are now condemned and they're going to hell and they lose their salvation. That is not what the anger is here. Because in the covenant relationship that God has with his people, once they are saved, they have been saved. There's nothing that, they, that can take them out of God's hands. Nothing. But, Because of sin, his people do fall under the fatherly displeasure of God, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says. And his his face is now turned away until they confess their sins to him and return back to him. That means his fatherly displeasure may lead to a time of discipline until his people truly repent. Repent. The northern kingdom has sinned in an exceedingly wicked way, and God is angry with them. Now, how about us today? How does that apply to us? Well, let's look at our Canadian church. How are we doing as a larger church in Canada? According to statistics from the prayer book Operation World, Back in 1950, Protestants and Anglicans together numbered about 45% of the population. But now, that number has dwindled down to a mere 11%. There's been a, a visible decline in the influence of Christianity in our culture. And in fact, the book comments saying, today, the public face of Christianity seems to turn people away from Jesus Christ, rather than drawing people to him. And so we are in need of a revival. We are in need of a revival in our church here in Canada. Why? Firstly, we have lost focus. Much of our Christianity has become a nominal Christianity. You come to church on Sunday, you put on your Sunday hat, and you go through the motions of doing church and then Monday to Saturday, the rest of the world might not even be able to tell us apart to know that we're Christians. We may have lost focus in our spiritual unity. Maybe the different denominations fighting over theological values on who's right, who's wrong, rather than focusing on uniting together to pursue the greater goal of God's kingdom to proclaim Christ. Or maybe we've lost focus, and truly trying to be a church that is holy, that is really set apart from the rest of this world. If these things about the Church of Canada is still too high level for us, let's narrow it down to our church here, Grace Toronto Church. How about us? How might we, as the corporate church, have sinned against God? Now, maybe some of us may be thinking, no, 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 we don't sin, we're okay. Our church, there's nothing wrong with it. Let me tell you, there's only God and God alone who doesn't sin. The rest of us, we do fall under sin. And so we have to ask this uncomfortable truth question to ourselves, asking, how might we, as Grace Toronto, have sinned before God? Might we have been more concerned with fitting into our culture's mold of tolerance than obeying the commands of God to be holy in all that we do? Could that mean, as a church, we have to take a bolder stance on certain issues where it is sin before the eyes of God? Perhaps the sin of idolatry. As a church, could we have been worshiping the idol of comfort? As we feel that all the needs for an easy and accessible Sunday morning are met. And as long as those needs are met, then we're good. Could that be something that we fall under? Or could we fall under the idol of success? Where being a downtown church of our size might give off a sense of pride or arrogance, forgetting that it is God's hand which has been at work in our church to bring us to where we are today. Tim Keller provides this helpful definition for what an idol could be in his book, Counterfeit Gods. And he says this, an idol is any dominant cultural hope that is not God himself. Grace Toronto, what do we as a church place our hope in? Does that hope align with the worship and glory of our God, or does that hope have our agenda coming first before God? Lastly, could there be sin within our corporate body? Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says the following, just as the body, though one, has many parts, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. The reality of being part of a greater body of Christ, the church, is that our individual walks with God actually matter. We may think, no one really knows what we're doing in our own lives, and I can just come into church and, you know, go through the motions of Sunday. But it actually matters because our overall body is affected by it. And so we ask ourselves, are there personal sins that we have to confess? Or are there sins of other fellow believers around us in our community that we're aware of that we need to potentially confront in a loving way and begin the process of confession in that way? These, once again, are all uncomfortable questions. But as we look at our psalm today we realize this is a very important step in corporately lamenting before God. Because in the process of lament is first our time of acknowledging our sins and confessing those sins as a body, as a church to God. And there's a profoundly deep identity and unity that each of us have with the overall church. And the psalmist teaches us how to lament and do that. In fact, at the end of the sermon, uh, instead of our usual Q and A time, if you do have questions, please email me at stephen at gracetoronto.ca, and I'll get back to those questions that way uh, of Grace Toronto. So that is our first cry: God, you have turned away. Now let's look at our second cry: God, turn to us again turn to us again. And we look to verse 14. The psalmist cries out, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. Have regard for this vine. That phrase, having regard, means to look at us, God, with compassion as you would to a helpless orphan or a widow. The psalmist is asking God to remember the vine, remember his own people, remember the time of great flourishing and joy. In verses eight to nine, he recalls they were brought out of Egypt and planted in the promised land where God himself personally clears the ground, driving out the nation so that he makes a path for this vine for his people to take deep root. In verses 10 to 11, we see what happens next. The mountains are covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. We know from the book of Kings, during Solomon's rule, he reaped the fruit of his father David's conquest. There was peace on all borders, gifts being brought, and endless riches in the land. Israel was thriving because God's favor and blessing was shining on them. And so the psalmist is pleading to God, remember those times, God. Remember your people who you cared for so deeply, who are now suffering and hurt. Would you change your heart? Would you stir up your compassion? Would you turn to us? And would you heal us? That's the cry we see. But is that cry, is that enough to pardon the heinous and wicked sins of the people and for God to turn to them again? Is that cry alone enough? And before we answer that, I want to quickly take some time to share a story about an individual named Carl Plagell. Maybe some of you know that name, but for those who don't, this is his story. Karl Plager, he joined the Nazi party in 1931. But a few years after, he resigned because he was in opposition to the party's political and philosophical ideals. He didn't see eye to eye with it. But in 1939, Plaga was drafted into the German army and soon promoted to major. He was sent to Vilna, Lithuania in 1941, where he was put in charge of the camp unit that repaired military vehicles. Now, Plaga, what he did during the war was this. He used his authority to save as many Jews as possible. He issued over 250 work permits to Jewish male prisoners, even though these guys had absolutely no mechanical skills whatsoever to work on these German war vehicles. But still, he insisted that these workers were essential for the German war effort. And so, these males began to come and be redirected to his camp. He also... Housed their wives and their children rather than separating them like all the other camps did. He actually housed them together. And he argued that they would be more productive and more focused if they were motivated as a family. Now, when the German troops surrendered the town of Vilna in 1944, Plaga actually warned his prisoners ahead of time and gave him a little heads up that they were going to get relocated to let them know that the SS was coming to kill them off. Many of the prisoners tried hiding, but thousands were still found and killed. Nevertheless, because of his efforts, he was still able to save around 150 to 200 Jews. Now, in 1948, Plaga was put on trial as as a part of the post-war denazification process. And the sentencing included death penalties, life imprisonments, 30 to 70 years in prison. But when it came to Plaga, the tribunal's decision was largely influenced by the voice of these surviving Jews, who testified on his behalf, saying that this was the one who saved them. And Carl Plaga is the reason that they're able to stand before them today. Why should God turn again to his people who have offended him so deeply with sin? Because God hears the voice. God hears the testimony of the one who prays this lament on behalf of his people, on behalf of you, and on behalf of me. But unlike the case of Karl Plaga, this is the voice and prayer of the Savior himself who identifies with and suffers with his people, and his name is Jesus Christ. And let's see how he prays this prayer of lament for us. Verses one to two. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Stir up your might and come to save us. Christ is the true shepherd of Israel who knows his sheep by name and his sheep know him. And he loves them and offers them eternal life by giving up his own life. Christ prays this lament for them. Verse five, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink. Christ is the true bread of life who feeds us with his own body that's broken on the cross for us so that we would never be hungry or thirsty again. Christ prays this lament for us. Verse six, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. As the hands and feet of Christ are pierced and his body is put on display, people stared and gloated over him. People divided his clothes and cast lots over them, making a mockery of the scene. In all of that, Christ prays this lament for us. And in verse 17, let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Christ is that Son of Man who came not to be served but to serve, who stood in the suffering of his people, lamenting with them as he was condemned and killed. But as a true Son of Man, Christ was raised from the dead three days later to conquer the final enemy of sin and death. And now the ascended Christ is constantly praying on our behalf for us, Interceding for us in the presence of God. The reason that God turns to us, the reason that God hears our prayers of lament, that we have a chance for him to turn around, is not by any of our doing, but because of his son, Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, who is interceding on our behalf, we can lift up our prayers to God. And have absolute confidence that God turns back to us. That God turns back to us full of compassion and full of mercy. Christ is the reason that we can also end this lament like the psalmist does in verse 19. He says, restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And so, Grace Toronto, let us turn to Christ today. For it is only through the life and the prayer of Jesus Christ does God turn to us to restore us, to let his face shine on us and to save us. Turn to Christ. And so, as we conclude this sermon, I think it's appropriate that we also pray for our church at this time. Pray for our church in Canada. Pray for our church here in Grace Toronto. And here are some ways that we can pray for our church. Number one, we can pray this prayer to God. How long, God, will you continue to let our Canadian church suffer as it becomes an object of contention in our culture? How long will you let the church continue to dwindle in its influence? Ask God to forgive us and help us to be a church that puts his kingdom first and points people to Christ. Or secondly, we can pray for our church here in Grace Toronto. If we as Grace Toronto Church have sinned by idolizing comfort or idolizing success or if we've been tolerant to our own or to each other's sins, ask God to forgive us and to help us to be a church in a city that is the salt and light in our community, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And lastly, if you're with us and you're seeking today, I encourage you, take this time to ask God to help turn your heart to him so that you can see the beauty of Jesus who has personally identified with and suffered with his people and stood with them and continues to intercede for them today. That relationship is available for you if you turn to him. So let's take a few moments to pray together. And afterwards, I'll close this time with a word of prayer. O merciful and compassionate God, please forgive the sins of our church here, in our nation, for the ways we've lost focus of your kingdom and your glory through your son, Jesus Christ. Would you restore us again and turn back to us? Would you shine your countenance of favor and blessing upon us so that we may be the salt and light in this country and in the city of Toronto, a city on a hill, that cannot be hidden. And we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're able, would you please rise to respond with this song of assurance.